Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Podcast. We are Fully into the best parts of fall right now. It's cold right. outside. We football's getting interesting. Yes, baseball. Baseball. That's Go right. Braves. That's right. So we just wrapped up the World Series. Literally this past Friday, we had the parade in Atlanta, and everybody celebrated. And so yeah, it's been a pretty exciting November here. Yeah, it's uh, been a Atlanta. great fall so far. And and now we have actually also officially wrapped up all of our retreats for the year. After last weekend's one day retreat at Twelve Stone Church in Buford, which is just down the road from us here at the Lighthouse offices, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's always bittersweet for me because. We're saying goodbye to the 2021 retreat season, um, but that also means we get to really start planning for the 2022 season. That's right. And in fact, so registration is getting ready to start on all fronts for our volunteers this month. It's going to start to open up with spring break registration. Our church partners are already starting to register. Our retreat family registration is coming about a month away in December, and then we open up all of registration in early January for our volunteers. So it is starting. The 2022 season is getting ready ready to start here in the next few weeks with our registration. Absolutely. And we are still finishing up a few things. Our advent calendars are going out soon. And if you need some stocking stuffers, can't forget the holidays, we've got some great merch on our website for the Lighthouse fans in your life. So there's a lot to also look forward to at the end of the year here. I know. There really is. There is a lot to look forward to in our conversation today as well with the brilliant Dr. Jordan Marchak. So Dr. Marchak is a pediatric psychologist as well as an associate professor of pediatrics. She received her PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Georgia, Go Dogs, and is board certified in child and adolescent psychology by the American Board of Professional Psychology. She completed her postdoctoral fellowship in pediatric psycho-oncology at Emory University and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. So while on fellowship, she began consultation, liaison work, and research in the AFLAC Cancer Survivor Program. She's developed a passion for pediatric cancer survivorship, so she was excited to join the Emory Department of Pediatrics faculty in 2011 and continue working in the AFLAC Cancer Survivor Program where she is now. Dr. Marshak is married with a six-year-old son, and they are members of Decatur City Church where she volunteers in the children's ministry, and it is clear that she's passionate about the next generation, which makes her our kind of people. So let's listen to the conversation we had with Dr. Marshak about survivorship research. Hey, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, We've done several episodes on survivorship, which is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart since it affects my family personally. Um, And I learned a lot talking to you before about the role that research plays in survivorship. Can we start with just talking about you and how you got into this specialty? Of course. Um, So I trained as a clinical scientist, um, meaning that I provide like clinical mental health care to patients and families. Um, but that I also conduct behavioral science research um, to guide best clinical practices or what we should be doing to help patients. Uh, And I came to Emory and AFLAC um, for my postdoctoral fellowship to finish up my training. And that year I spent one day each week in survivorship clinic. uh, And I just fell in love with survivorship care. 
uh, I think that there's such a big role for psychology and survivorship, both in helping families clinically get the mental health and academic supports that they need, uh, but also for behavioral science research. Um, and so I just became very passionate about the area uh, and wanted to build my career uh, in this specific uh, niche area. You talked about research. When you're conducting studies on survivorship, what what impact do the studies have? Like, what are they used for? That's a great question. Um, and it's kind of why I'm so passionate about the research work we do uh, and also that others in the childhood cancer survivorship community do. Uh, the care that survivors are receiving today is really all based on research. Um, so if your survivor comes to clinic um, and gets, say, an echocardiogram to look for cardiac problems after cancer, um, that the reason they're getting that echocardiogram is based on uh, research that other survivors and families participated in that showed certain chemotherapies at certain doses cause heart problems later on in life. Uh, and if we didn't have this huge cancer survivorship research community, uh, we would really be shooting in the dark in terms of knowing how to follow up with survivors long-term. Um, and so there's a huge body of research um, that's evidence-based guidelines uh, and the reason we have that is because uh, researchers like me have partnered um, with childhood cancer survivors and their families uh, to answer these questions. So I'm assuming then that there's like this large national, maybe international, um, like database of, of how all of this is coming together, where it's not just you're keeping data on research and it's just shared locally at the at AFLAC, right? It's something where uh, a hospital in California can, I'm assuming, would have access to what you're learning, you have access to what others are learning, and then that's a shared research? I think that's the direction that... Um the National Cancer Institute is hoping to move us all in. Uh, I think we're a little bit more siloed right now. Uh, but the good thing is, is that we do have national studies like um, the studies that are run by the Children's Oncology Group. Um, and the, the, here in North America, we have the Childhood uh, Cancer Survivorship Study that many families at AFLAC and at other centers around the country participate in. And so all of those data are pooled together um, from around the country to answer questions. Um, and then other countries have registry studies um, as well. So when you're doing this research, are there like a couple main areas that you're focused on when it comes to survivorship? Absolutely. So my, um, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. Uh, so my three buckets of research um, include mental health, um, include healthy lifestyle behaviors and how that impacts survivors and their families, and also healthcare transition, uh, moving survivors to adult care from pediatrics. So let's start. I, I like to talk about the mental health aspect first. Um, I just think it's so important. And I was so excited when you were talking to me earlier about the research. What are you actually studying with that? And are, can you tell us some stuff that you're finding out? Absolutely. Um, so right now I'm co-leading the mental health working group um, for the International Late Effects of Childhood Cancer Guidelines Harmonization Group. It's a mouthful. 
Um, but basically our job is to research the research. And so we compile all the available evidence on mental health outcomes for survivors of childhood cancer uh, and make informed recommendation for survivors and the, their survivor care providers. And some of the things that we've been finding um, are that most survivors are doing well after cancer, um, but that overall survivors of childhood cancer are at greater risk for certain mental health problems after cancer as compared to the general population. Um, and those include depression, anxiety, um, distress, uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms, uh, behavioral problems, and suicidal ideation. Um, and so we found that the prevalence rates of those particular problems um, are greater than what we would expect um, from you know, uh, control groups like um, siblings or the general population. With those findings, like when I take Carter to, to, you know, to clinic, what would that look like in a practical way? How would you use that research to affect someone's appointments going forward? Right. So um, our international group is recommending that all survivors um, receive two things, that all survivors and their families receive education about their risk for mental health late effects. Um, and that they also be screened at every long-term follow-up appointment um, for those particular problems that we discussed. Um, and so at our clinic, what that looks like, you know, at AFLAC, um, patients are asked to complete a brief mental health screener as part of their electronic check-in process in clinic. Um, and then based on what patients and families are telling us on that screener, um, we have psychologists available in clinic um, for anyone who has follow-up questions or who might be experiencing um, mental health symptoms. Do you ever study the families? I'm just curious, like, is it, is it just on the patient or like the parents potentially? Um, so the work that we're doing right now for the guidelines is really focused fully on the survivors. Um, but a lot of the work that I'm doing um, personally in clinic is focused on caregivers. Um, and so we also offer um, optional screening for caregivers at our clinic check-ins um, because we know that the mental health impact of the cancer experience isn't just limited to the child who had cancer. Um, it also impacts their parents. Sometimes it impacts their parents even more than it impacts them. Um, and so we want to make sure that we are giving the parents that are coming to our clinic the opportunity to tell us that they need help. Um, again, it's optional, um, but we want to have that out there as a lifeline to parents who might be struggling so that we can help get them plugged into any services that they might need. Yeah, I love this. This is because you can, the heart behind this really is the care of not just the patient, but like you were just talking mm -hmm. about the family that, and that's, I think that's just so important. It's not when they're, you know, just on treatment. It's, it, this is, we're, you're really concerned about the future uh, of these kids and, and their well being. And, and there's so much talk these days about uh, mental health and, and why it's so important here. You mentioned also uh, a minute ago uh, just general healthy lifestyle uh, was another uh, one of the three, uh, which is that's important for everybody. How is it more important for young cancer survivors? Uh, so it's more important for cancer survivors because 
really depending on the type of treatment they received um, for their cancer, they're going to be at risk for chronic conditions, or they might be at risk for second cancers later in life. Um, and we know that things like exercise, sleep, and healthy diet can mitigate those risks um, for late effects. And they're also just good for general health um, in terms of, you know, health promotion. Um, that, you know, we know that those things help with uh, long-term heart health, um, decreasing prevalence of adult cancers, um, help treat things like depression, which we know survivors are at risk for. Um, they can also help with cognitive functioning and quality of life. Um, so it's really important for like the whole person health um, for survivors, both mental and physical health. Do you find that just the, the healthy lifestyle options, the things that you tend to wanna to talk about, is that easier or harder uh, for survivors to to adopt and follow consistently? Seems to be harder. Um, unfortunately, we know that most survivors aren't meeting those national guidelines for exercise. Um, you know, like 40 to 80% of survivors aren't getting the exercise that they need. Um, when it comes to sleep, about a third of survivors aren't getting quality sleep. Um, and diet is even worse. Um, you know, about half to 90% of survivors aren't meeting national guidelines. Um, and so this is putting them at even greater risk for long-term health problems um, as compared to the general population because of those treatments that they received. Uh, and it's really because of um, what we think, at least we hypothesize, is that there's a lot of cancer-related barriers to treatment that make it harder for survivors and families. Um, and these things are, you know, habits that are continuation of unhealthy habits that they picked up when they were on treatment um, or new limitations because of late effects. Um, you know, things like cancer-related fatigue. We know that fatigue um, happens to survivors, you know, even years out after treatment. Um, you know, survivors have reported uh, and their parents too, that they have fears related to injury. So they're worried about going back and doing exercise. Um, you know, the time on therapy uh, can change your taste buds. It changes family routines around meals. Um, you're just trying to keep food down because of, you know, chemo-induced nausea and vomiting, um, or you're just trying to get calories in, um, you know, that we're in survival mode during, you know, that on treatment time. Um, but those, those habits have to be um, reevaluated through the lens of survivorship. And we have to help families find a way um, to overcome those challenges. You know, these, these barriers that are cancer related, that families are experiencing, the things that are uh, causing them to have trouble with physical activity, with sleep, with diet. Um, we know those are really common. Um, you know, we've partnered with families and doing some research in that area to figure out how to better serve them. Uh, and we found that 93% of families are telling us that they have at least one cancer specific barrier that's causing them problems and healthy lifestyle behaviors. Uh, and on average, uh, families are reporting five different things related to their cancer treatment um, that are causing problems with healthy lifestyle behaviors. Uh, and so some of the work that we're doing now that I'm really excited about is we're going to be um, developing a program 
um, with the input of families. Um, we're going to have families on our stakeholder committee, and we're going to engage in some interviews with them um, and really create a program very specific to the cancer survivorship experience um, that includes both teens and their parents um, to really get at and address ways to overcome these barriers uh, and improve exercise, diet, and sleep um, for our survivors. What are some things, like if there, we have parents listening today that they've not yet approached survivorship, they're in treatment, and so this is forward thinking for them, right? Um, what can they do today on treatment that's going to help maybe alleviate some of at least these healthy lifestyle options. You mentioned some of the habits. What can they do with their kids today to help so those habits aren't as impactful when they're on the survivor side? Um, so I, I think that um, physical activity is a huge one, that um, any kid uh, who is able um, to engage in some light physical activity, even on treatment is really important. And they've shown that it's actually helpful for kids, um, both from a health standpoint, um, and a quality of life standpoint on treatment. Um, you know, even something as simple as, you know, taking a family walk, you know, um, also trying to get some healthy foods in, um, you know, trying to, it, it's really challenging on therapy. The diet piece is just super challenging for families, um, but doing the best that you can with it, um, I think. And just thinking about um, ways in which to make sure that what you have to do to get through that particular day um, doesn't become a long-term habit. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would imagine, and Christy, you can speak to this way, way more. Um, but there are days where you just have to decide that this is not the battle I'm choosing to fight. Right? I'm not. I'm not going to go there. It's not worth it today. It's avoiding that being your everyday, right? right? Because just your steroid weeks. Yeah. Your steroid weeks. You just do. What right. You have to do sure. to get through. And you can understand that mentality. Yeah. It's also though just now trying to take into consideration, which in the middle of it, you, you may not know any of this because you've never talked to anybody on the survivorship side. You've never right. heard the future or, the, or what's coming. Now hearing that, it's like, okay, yes, there's going to be days where I, that doesn't need to be my battle. I'm not going to choose it. But trying to find those days where you do fight for it a little bit because you know the long-term impacts, uh, I think just learn, you know, taking that as a learning, I think it's great to hear that because there probably are some parents that just, they haven't even been able to think about that. But to hear it now, maybe try to, to push for a little bit healthier lifestyles, the exercise, the diet, because of the impact. So I think it's great to be able to share that. Yeah, and I think the instinct is, okay, my kid has cancer, so they can't. They shouldn't run around and, you know, like we should protect them and they should be sitting still and they should be laying down. And so just the encouragement yeah. that, you know, it's okay. And, and, you know, in our case, our oncologist told us when it wasn't okay and all the rest of the times it was okay. So that's something to talk to your doctor about also. Um, this last area that you mentioned, it it applies to us very soon as Carter is going to transition. It sounds like I was saying earlier, it sounds like he's turning into something else. He's um, <laughs> He's got his transition appointment set for later this fall. So um, can you just define, I'd never actually considered this being a thing for a long time. So can you just kind of talk about what that means? Sure. Um, so healthcare transition is really two pieces. 
um, you know, the big piece is kind of the event that's, you know, coming up for Carter and that he's changing from a pediatric set of oncology doctors to an adult set of oncology doctors. Um, but the second part is really the transition um, from where the, you know, the parent or the caregiver is being primarily responsible for managing a survivor's health care to where the teen or the young adult starts becoming primarily responsible um, for healthcare. So it, it's really a, a two-piece, the, um, the event that happens with the change in doctors and the process that hopefully occurs over time, um, where we're changing responsibility from the parent to the survivor. What, like with, for my family, what would it look like to transition well? Like what should my goal be as we're getting ready for the event portion, um, which is in just a couple weeks? Um, what does that look like for us? I think the, the most important goal um, for a successful transition is making sure um, that care stays continuous. Um, that just because you're leaving your pediatric survivorship team, that there doesn't become a gap in care um, afterwards. You know, most survivors go either every year or every other year for long-term follow-up. Um, and the Children's Oncology Group recommends that that happen for the rest of their life um, because the risks for late effects increase over time. Um, where we, you know, we know that by middle age, um, the majority of survivors are going to have one health problem um, related to late effects. Um, and so what's happening, unfortunately, is that about half of young adults just drop out of survivorship care after they leave us in pediatrics. They never make it um, over to that adult set of doctors. Um, and so they're, they're pulling out of survivorship care at a time in which they're becoming uh, increasingly at risk for health problems. Um, and so that's, that's the main, most important goal is continuation of care. Is that something where you mentioned a, a pretty significant number not following up, right? Pulling out of it. Um, is it they go a couple times and they just don't think there's value or do they not even start the process? I think both. Yeah. Um, I think both of those things happen. Um, I think we need to do a better job as providers about educating um, survivors and their families about the importance of lifelong care. And that's some of the research that I'm been working on is um, how do we best educate families about that? Um, because it, it's hard to understand if you don't know these facts um, and you've been going for long-term follow-up care, you know, from the time you were six or seven and now you're 20 and your scans have always been clean, your echoes have always been good and you, you feel great. Um, you may tell yourself, you know, why do I need to continue this? Like cancer is something that happened to me. It's in the past. Um, I'm doing really well. I'm healthy now. I, I don't need this anymore. Um, and I think that can be a really convincing message yeah. um, that most young adults feel. And if, if we don't do a good job um, as providers, both educating them about the need for continued care um, and also making it easier for them to access care, um, 
then then of course we're going to have these huge dropout rates. I, I don't think it's because young adults don't care. I think it's because they don't know, or it's because it's too hard to access the care after they leave pediatrics. Yeah. So if this is your 30 second elevator pitch to folks that are listening right now to, um, to really emphasize and reinforce why, what's your message? Because problems are going to happen later. Based on the data that we have, we know that survivors are going to have a health problem at some point in time in their life. And if we can keep them in regular care, we're going to catch it early. And it's not going to be as big of an issue. Um, It's not going to be as life-threatening as it could be if it goes on undetected. I like the message of catching it early because I think that is something that would influence, you know, these older kids like, hey, so the goal is so your real goal really is to track them, monitor, and make sure when those problems occur that you can catch it early. Absolutely. We're hoping for clean scans, you know, and good test results every year. Like, that's, that's the goal. That's amazing. Um, But I think that there is going to become a time where we do have some sort of result. um, And hopefully, we're catching it right as a problem is starting. Um, and not after it has become really serious or life-threatening. Well, Carter's going to listen to this podcast and he will continue (laughs) his care. I might be a mess on like transition day or whatever. So you might see me on the hallway on the floor somewhere, but we will be there and he will be continuing. So I'm going to play this, let him listen to this. Um, we, I'm just so grateful for you. Our, my child, and actually all of us, we've just been cared for so well in Survivor Clinic. Um, we've been there for several, for a while now, and it is going to be really hard to leave, basically because you guys have done such a great job. And I love especially how he, as he's grown up, he's really starting to take charge and know what happened to him and feel comfortable asking questions and talking about hard things. And that's really all due to you all and how you've kind of worked with him over the years from him being this little like 10 year old to now 20. So I just I appreciate your time. I, I can't say how much how much I appreciate what you do and the research that you do and how it impacts all of us. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. And also for all the time you give the families. Thank you guys. Um, and thank you to all the families who are listening who have participated in research. Um, you know, you, the families who participate and engage in research with us um, are shaping the care of survivorship for the future um, and are really doing an amazing service. Um, And so I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. um, And I just want to thank those families who might be listening. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Wow, Christy, I just learned so much from her. Right. I mean, I feel like every time I have a conversation with her, I end up a little bit smarter. She's super brilliant. And I'm really thankful that there are really smart, passionate people like her figuring out all this tricky stuff. I'm also loving still learning about the vast world of childhood cancer and sharing it with you guys, our listeners, in hopes that it'll make your journey easier and encourage you on the way. Yeah, and we've got several more episodes for you guys uh, to go here in 2021 that are going to bring you some great knowledge, some encouragement, and ultimately, we hope and pray that you keep tuning in um, because we really want you guys to learn and grow from this as well. So we'll catch you next week on the Lighthouse Podcast.